Um, come on up. Oh, come on up. <laughs> come on up, everybody. Thank you. Yeah. Before I speak, I invited uh, Anthony to read God's word to us. It's a rather lengthy passage, and it's my way of concerning my voice a little. So if you have your Bible, please open to Acts chapter 10. We'll be reading from verses 23 to 48. And it's the passage that pastoral staff team of the church has assigned to me today. It's a rich passage, and I'm looking forward to hearing from God's word. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask you why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Sent to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Thank you. Would you join me in prayer as we uh, prepare ourselves to hear from the Lord? Our gracious God in heaven, we are so grateful that you have invited each of us to this house of worship this morning, that we might raise our voice in praising you for who you are and what you have accomplished through your Son, Jesus Christ. And now we come before you and open your holy word 
to hear from you, O God. We pray that your Holy Spirit be our teacher and that you would prepare a heart to hear your voice. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So it was several years ago, I was invited to speak at a pastor's conference in Kansas City. It was a gathering of pastors to just reflect together what might be God's way of challenging each of us as pastors to bring more effectively God's ministry in today's world. Now, final evening, uh, there was a banquet, and one of the sponsoring churches treated us by inviting a very gifted uh, jazz musicians that they might perform for us. It was a three-person band. There was a pianist. There was a percussionist. And then there is a bass player. And what they did for us, because not all of us knew all these different genres of jazz, they basically introduced different pieces that represent different categories and genres of jazz. What a treat that was. But then the final piece that they saved for us was this thing called improvisational jazz. And the person who was leading the band, the pianist, explained to us, I don't know if you ever, ever heard improv jazz, but what we're about to do for you is perform a piece that was never done before. No one has written, uh, composed and written it. We don't ourselves know what that music piece would be like. But one of us will begin, and then we will carefully listen to each other and improv together and produce a new musical piece. What he was talking about was creating an entirely new creation. And that indeed was a magical moment including myself, all the pastors were leaning in, listening carefully. And to see these three musicians functioning like a one body. And we could tell from their body language that they were listening into one another as they were trying to figure out together what the next measure should be. Wow. After the piece was done, the the leader, the pianist, got up and said that I too am a believer. In fact, he's a deacon of a Baptist church. And then knowing that he's speaking to pastors, he said this. You know, when I read Book of Acts that account the story of the early church, what the early church did was complete act of improvisation. They did not have church planting manual or the book on church growth. And they certainly did not have a 10-year plan that would guide how the church should go. This was a first-time act. But what they did as a church was very attentively, together listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit constantly paying attention to what is our resurrected Christ, who is the head of the church, asking us to do, especially when as a church they came to moments when they're facing some very unpredicted, very unexpected 
circumstances and challenges. In fact, today's passage is one of those turning point moments for the early church. Today's passage is about breaking in of unexpected voice of God, directing church not just to faithfully do what it has done before, but in fact challenging them to now think about entirely new direction that that early church never thought about up until that point. You see, up until this point, the early church assumed that the Christianity, this new faith, and the church are only for the Jews, Jewish converts. Yes, they lived among the Gentiles, but somehow they assumed that this gospel of Jesus is reserved only for Jewish converts. And then this passage comes and completely disrupts those assumptions. Now, today's passage is one of those very rich, theologically, biblically rich passage. And someone who would preach from this text would face the challenge of, with passage like this, we have so many different angles to look at within 30 minutes. Which one do I choose? So prayerfully, as I consider this passage and the angle that I would choose in looking at this passage with you is when God does redirect us as a church or as a family or an individual, how are we to respond to that? How did Peter and his followers respond to this completely unexpected voice from God? We will look at that response today. And particularly as we do, I want to borrow a couple of insights I learned from improv jazz musicians. The principles that they live by as they do their improv music. Because I think those insights have also much to offer us in terms of how do we face unexpected voices of our God, unexpected happening as we are attentive to our Lord. The first point is that the Apostle Peter and his followers surrendered themselves to the voice of Christ, even when that particular message went completely against many of their cherished assumptions and cherished values and practices. And this comes out very clearly on verse 28 and 29. And let me read those two verses again. This is Peter speaking to Cornelius, the Roman centurion. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with Gentiles or visit them. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objections. May I ask why you sent for me? You see, Peter and other Jews, they grew up in a world where they were told there's a complete taboo 
for Jews to meet or visit Gentiles. It breaks their social norm, cultural norm, and their religious practice. Don't go near them because you will become unpure, right? And not only that, many of the Jews grew up in the synagogues where this was one of their regular prayers. Thank you, O God, that you created me to be a human being and not an animal. And then immediately following that, they would pray, Thank you, O God, for creating me to be a Jew and not a Gentile. I mean, you offer prayers like that every time you gather. It creates a certain mindset in you that you are superior to and you are vastly different from other, the, the, the Gentiles. And God's now voice says, no, don't call something impure that I have already made pure. Go to Cornelius' house. Now, here is the second thing about this challenge, though. Cornelius was not merely a Gentile. He was a Roman army officer that hated occupying army. Cornelius was one of the officers who would carry out that, that policy as a colonizer. And for Peter to think about going to his house, the person who he never met before, who is an enemy, so there was another barrier for him to think about. And yet, as we see on verse 29, Apostle Peter simply said yes when the God's voice came. You know that the song we sang during our offering time, Yes, Lord, Yes, Lord, is what Apostle Peter was able to do as he heard the voice of the Lord. One of the principles that the improv jazz musicians teach us is this. When you are doing improv music work or any kind of artwork, you have to have what they call relaxed awareness. Relaxed awareness. And this is how that pianist explained to us. If you are an accomplished concert pianist, what you need to do is to master that musical piece that you're going to perform. Practice that same music again and again and again so that you will not make a single mistake. That's how you become an accomplished concert pianist. Perfection. You got to control that music so that you would not err. But, he said, if you're an improv musician, you need to let go of that control. You need to let go of the control of what your next measure would be. And that's a huge thing. It's unknown. And you got to let go of the control that would cause you instinctively wanting to control what that next measure would be. Because if all three musicians who are in that band try to do that, 
you will not have an improv music that's somewhat coherent, but you would have a three-headed monster, right? Each person trying to dictate what should be the next piece, and that would break down all notion of doing improv music. You got to let go of your control. And then as you let go of that control, you are able to be more relaxed. It's not my job. I'm letting it go. And as you become more relaxed, you become more aware of what others are doing, what the other two musicians are doing. In fact, as we were observing what they were doing, they were constantly in their body language leaning into each other. They were trying to listen how each is, what each person is doing, right? Leaning in, listening, relaxed awareness. It is not accidental, I believe, in today's passage, God's voice came to both Peter and Cornelius. And this is what happens at the earlier part of chapter 10. When both these men at different locations were praying to God and God's voice came to them. It is not accidental that these both men had lived their lives with a continuing posture of listening to God. A life that is, had a rhythm of prayer that not only expressed our dependence on God, but also a listening posture. God, what is it that you are asking me to do? Posture of listening. I believe more and more we live in a world where listening is getting harder and harder. Not just listening to God, but listening, period. In one of the classes I teach at a seminary, the textbook I use is this recently written book called Reclaiming Conversation. Reclaiming Conversation, it's written by Sherry Turkle, who is a professor at MIT. And what she has been looking at is how our technology today, and particularly communication technology, is shaping us. And she's particularly concerned, if you will, about our lives being saturated with social media, particularly texting. And she notes that our communicational tools are never value-free. And in fact, this medium, which makes our life incredibly efficient, also has a darker unintended consequence. One of the things she points out, and she's as a faculty member at MIT, she does all these empirical studies and research. And one of the things she points out is that, particularly she's concerned about the younger generation and particularly adolescents who are continually 
living in their life that is filled with texting as a main means of communications. And as they are constantly checking their social media, that what's getting lost is that practice of solitude. She's concerned that many of our younger brothers and sisters do not know how to be alone. And ironically, because they don't know how to be alone, they feel more lonely. But then as an educational person, she's concerned about how that loss of solitude, in fact, takes away this younger generation individual's ability to be creative, to be imaginative, and also to think critically and deeply about what's going on in and around her life. Being alone, being solitude is a, 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 a art that is disappearing and she's concerned. But then she goes on to say there's another area that she's deeply concerned about and that is this. Today's young people's ability to listen, listen carefully with empathy and with understanding of the other person also is a discipline that's uh, disappearing. She says that the reason why often all of us, I'm assuming, often choose the medium of texting as a way of communicating is because Texting allows us to completely control what we want to communicate and how we want to communicate. It's not like phone conversation where you have to hear the other person and you have to improvise. You completely control your communication by texting another person. And when that becomes only means or main means of a communication, it begins to shape our ability to listen. And she is deeply concerned. Now, she's not a Christian. But as a Christian, as I read that book, I completely share her concerns and how that might impact our ability to hear God. Now, notice, important thing about listening to God here in this passage is not just me listening to God alone. But in this passage, Peter comes to even greater understanding of the meaning of God's message to him because he is also listening to Cornelius, this Roman centurion. And as Cornelius explained how he heard God, then Peter begins to have a deeper understanding of, aha, that's what exactly God was trying to communicate to me. Listening to God often involves listening to God together with others. And this is especially important for church. For Holy Spirit speaks to all God's people. And how do we understand how God is speaking to us we should also have 
an ability to hear one another together what might be God's voice for us, especially when there might be disagreement about what is it that God is exactly leading us to do, leading us to be. And this is not just for the church. It's also for our family, our marriage. Listening to God together. A couple of decades ago, I had a privilege of being part of a church plant team, worked with a group of friends, and before our church actually got launched, we met together as a small group and studied scriptures together, and we happened to go through Book of Acts. And we came to that point in time when we're about to go, if you will, start our worship service, regular worship service. And before we did that, there were about 30, 40 of us, we, be, we decided to have a retreat together as a church. Now, some of my friends who are church planting pastors told me, you know, Peter, that, that first retreat together is so critical. You need to go out and get a best motivational speaker you can find. Someone who can come in and just fire up your troops. Someone who can come in and say, hey, commit to this because this is going to be the most important thing in your life. Right? And then they even gave me some names. But then, as we were thinking and praying about that retreat, one of my team members said, you know, in light of what we just studied in the book of Acts, it's so important for us to be a church that would hear God together, that would be attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And then she said, and I know this great couple who are Anglicans who are great teachers in listening prayer. We should have that couple come and teach us as a team how to listen to God together. Now, <laughs> I met them, very quiet, wise, godly couple, but I knew they were not going to be motivational speakers. That was not their style. In fact, when they told us what they will do, there will be some teaching, but a lot of times we will be quiet before God and listening to God together. This wasn't going to be rah-rah, excitement kind of a church plant retreat. And I was a little concerned. Also, I come from a church tradition. When we engage in a corporate prayer, it's about shouting to God and shouting at God. And just quietly sitting before God for a couple hours sounds like, oh my gosh, how do you really do that? But you know, that weekend, God taught us an incredible lesson as God used that time to speak to us through many different individuals. We still had to make our plans as a church planting. In fact, the point of today's message is not for us, it's not for us to stay away from any kind of future planning. In fact, it would be rather irresponsible. Have our plans, but hold them loosely in our hands. And when God breaks in and tells us something different, we should be able to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. 
relaxed awareness, letting go of control about how the next music measure should go, and trusting that the God would lead us into our future. And as we are relaxed about that, we are able to become more aware of what God is saying to us and how we can all listen to the voice of this living God together. Now, second principle, let me quickly move into, and that is Peter and Cornelius did not simply just listen to the voice of living God, but when that voice came, and came in such a way that it seemed to break all the norms of their days, even though they did not completely understand what this meant, they were in faith. Respond to that and obediently, yes, Lord. So Peter and other Jews traveled to, to uh, Cornelius' house. And when they went there, they were met by not just Cornelius, but his relatives and other neighbors. I'm presuming that they were all Gentiles, came to this gathering that Peter came. And then Peter began to give this message of the gospel about Jesus, him crucified and resurrected. What does that mean for us? And this salvation of grace through the gospel of Jesus. And as we learn in this passage, the Holy Spirit came mightily and entered into each of these Gentile converts. And they begin to speak in tongue. And then this is where Peter comes at the end. Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Something very unexpected happened. As Peter preached the gospel, many of these Gentiles surrendered themselves to Christ and the Holy Spirit clearly entered into their lives. Now, Peter was probably, at this point, surprised by this unexpected happening because he thought, up until now, the gospel and the Holy Spirit are reserved only for the Jews. And what's happening? These Romans are now turning to God. But then he was wondering, oh, does this mean now I need to baptize them? Because being baptized now means they're part of this church community. Now, what would other apostles in Jerusalem think about me? that I'm a rogue, that I'm doing something that I should not be doing, clearly concerned because immediately in chapter 11, what happens is he rushes to the church in Jerusalem. And then before other apostles, he's explaining himself, explaining what just happened. The second principle that I want to briefly share with you about the improvisation arts is that they often talk about this, this uh, phrase called traditioned innovation. Traditioned innovation. 
Certainly for improv music, innovation is a key. Innovation meaning not knowing what the future will be about, but continually improvise, innovate. Right? You're not following the past tradition. You're moving forward with all kinds of different possibilities and you need to choose. You are innovating. Wynton Marsalis, a celebrated trumpet player, one time in his jazz concert, he was doing improv jazz with a group of his uh, uh, colleagues, and you know, because of his fame, I'm sure people paid a lot of money to go to that gathering. So people are just, just very focusing on the piece that they are making. But then someone forgot to turn off the cell phone. Cell phone went on, and people were shocked and clearly irritated. But you know what Marcellus did? The very next move he made was he incorporated that ringtone into his music, which just amazed everybody, right? What well, that is innovation. What Apostle Paul here did, baptizing Gentiles, Romans, with water, was something that was not done before. But then here's the thing. The innovation musicians say, yes, innovation, but remember the first part, traditioned? How they explain it is, just doing random innovation is not that hard. But if whatever we do is going to be qualified as a jazz, you got to follow certain rules of a jazz, certain rhythm, certain pattern. Otherwise, it may be innovation or it may be improvisation, but it's not going to be a jazz. Apostle Peter here, he is innovating, baptizing the Gentiles, but he is being faithful to the message of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, death and the resurrection of Christ, right? That's what makes what he's doing still the act of church, the Christianity. Brothers and sisters, we do live in a culture and a world where our missional landscape is continually changing. We cannot just, because it's a comfortable thing to do, stay with our way of doing ministry 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and fail to innovate when mission field is changing. But then, chasing after every new trend is also a cause of a concern when you become delinked with what makes us a biblical Christian community, that traditioned part, the gospel of Jesus, following Jesus in today's world. And let me share with you this uh, short word. Uh, short statement from John Stott. And as many of you know, he's a renowned uh, evangelical pastor, missiologist, and scholar. He's with the Lord now. He at one point said this, it is relatively easy to be faithful if we do not care about being relevant to today's world. 
It is relatively easy to be faithful if we do not care about being relevant to today's world. And it is easy to be relevant if we do not bother to be faithful. It is doing both and doing both well that makes it challenging for us, that causes us to turn to God for his wisdom. How are we doing in this practice of listening? Listening to our God, listening to one another as we turn to God. And when we sense God's directing and redirecting us, how are we doing in terms of responding to it with our faith, especially when that redirection might take us out of realm of comfort and familiarity. I believe God has called us as a witnessing community to continually proclaim and live out the power of the gospel of Jesus, even in midst of today's very, very changing world. That means even more so, we as a church, as individuals, are to continually listen to the voice of our God and then collaboratively, as a community, in courage and faith, being obedient to his leading, even when he takes away from that familiar pathway and takes us to that place where things are new and unfamiliar. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that we live in a world that is constantly changing. And that in many ways, we as a community and also individually, we are continually journeying together in this life, often without a clear map that guides us. And Lord, what we are often perplexed by and confused by unexpected happenings around us, and we are often uh, discouraged when we are not hearing clearly from you. Or it is our prayer, as Apostle Peter did and his followers did, that we would have ability to hear your voice clearly, that we would live out our lives in a posture of listening. That even as we live in a world that is filled with competing voices that seek to gain our attention, that we would be determined to each day, each week, wanting to hear your voice for us, Lord. Lord, it is also our prayer that you would continually deepen our faith in you, that as a church and as individuals, when we do sense that you are redirecting us, that even though we may have the fear of unknown and uncertainty, that we would be able to say, yes, Lord. And we pray all this in the most precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Please stand on your feet with us as we sing this song of a